You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Good day, everybody. This is Randy Bolander on the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. Glad to be with you. It has been a crazy busy time, probably for you as well. Over the weekend, uh, we met in real time with a group of people who we have been giving leadership to, been praying with, and teaching on weekends on Zoom, and uh, finally got together in a real space in real time, second time that we have done this. It was fantastic. It had the makings of a debacle, but it was awesome. What made it um, trending towards debacle there for a little bit was 48 hours before the event, I got word that we would not have a permit for sound, for amplification, for volume. And so we had to shuffle a little bit and had to relocate the entire thing. Ended up relocating it to a friend's property. It turned out to be much better than where we had it originally planned. Uh, There was a lot of shade. It was just great. Kelsey said, uh, so what are we going to do today? I said, we've got everybody together. We are just going to worship. She said, you're not going to teach? I'm like, nope, not going to teach. You can teach on Zoom. It's not great, but you can do it. You can pray together on Zoom. It's very hard to do corporate worship. And so while Lesse and Rachel Fa'agutu gave leadership to it with great excellence, and we just sang and worshipped, and it was so much fun. Closed out the uh, worship event with uh, dedication of a baby, Um, just new life. I mean, the future is forward. It was so fun to be together and so fun uh, just to minister to the Lord and to sing, to do what we were made to do, to sing to Him. It was fun, 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 fun had a really interesting dream that has got me uh, thinking about the message that I'm going to tack on to the end of this. Uh, Just a couple of minutes here, I'm going to wrap up my portion of this. We're going to hear from Kelsey from a message that that, uh, she preached some years ago that has been stirring in my head. This was the dream I had, and you might have seen this on Instagram as well. A couple of days ago, I dreamed I was standing on a very solid point. It was like I was standing on a very narrow Um, piece of concrete, but it was solid. It was going nowhere. And I knew in the dream that that was this moment. Like it was now. I was standing on now. And to one side was a pit of sand. It was almost like there was a swimming pool on either side of me and they were full of sand. One side represented the past and the other side represented the future. And there I am standing on the moment between these piles of sand. And I know that I'm going to be late for something. And because I'm going to be late, I'm using a bucket. I remember I had this Home Depot bucket. And I'm trying to scoop sand from the past, or time from the past, and I'm trying to throw it over into the future, as if to get myself more time. If I could just dig time from the past and throw it to the future, and I couldn't do it. And I woke myself up actually saying over and over again, I can't shift time. I just can't shift time. That dream has had me thinking differently about almost every hour of the day since I dreamed it. We never get back the hours that we waste. Now, that does not mean we need to work 90 hours a week and that we need to sleep three hours a night. And, I mean, you can get into a performance thing there that's very destructive. But most people don't. Most people trend towards lethargy. Most people are not out there working too hard. Most people are resting too hard. 
or just letting time sift through their hands and not realizing they can never get it back. And so I've been thinking day by day, hour by hour, what am I doing with the hour I have right now? Is this, is this time that I will have been glad that I was involved in? Or someday, am I going to try and scoop this back into the future in a Home Depot bucket because I didn't spend it the right way the first time? You can't shift time. Because you can't shift time, the things that the Lord speaks to us are very important. And it's so easy in a busy season or in a season when we feel overwhelmed to allow dust to collect on the dreams he's given us as if one day we are going to have all kinds of time to foster those dreams. The truth is one day we're going to be standing there trying to scoop sand from the past into the future so that we could have just another year or just another month or just another day to commit ourselves to those dreams. Thinking about all of that reminded me of a message that Kelsey preached some years ago. And uh, I went out and dug it out. It is titled, appropriately, Blowing the Dust Off the Dreams. I wanted to include that in the podcast today. Keep my, my remarks as short as can be to give her as much time as we can. If you have dreams that have gone by the wayside, let me encourage you, pour a cup of coffee, sit down, Listen to what she's got to say and ask the Lord to help blow the dust off those dreams. Well, tonight I want to talk about awakening to divine dreams, the fragrance of each of our unique destinies. And uh, I'll just start right off with a verse, Psalm 139, verse 16, tells us that all of our days were written in his book before even one of them came to be. Now, sometimes, even though I believe that, I think, did I wander off the page somewhere? (laughs) Like, is there a page that's ripped out of that book? Because I'm not thinking that Maybe I'm where I should be. You ever have seasons in your life where you think, is this really what you planned, God? You know, certainly, you really wrote this this way? <laughs> and uh, I, I just, you know, love my life. I've always loved my life and all of that. But there have been times where I sit back and I remember all the stuff that I dreamed about in my younger days. And I think... How in the world did I get here, (laughs) where I am right now? I mean, I had really big plans coming out of high school. Anybody relate to that? It's like you, you graduate from high school and you have the future in front of you. Like I was gonna take on the stinking world and win. (laughs) You know, I was, um, I was a student council president and voted most likely to succeed, and I had a lot of ideas about what success was going to be like. I mean, big stuff, big ideas, big, 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 the bigger the better. And uh, so my first year in college, I met Randy, and we got married the next summer, 
And uh, we immediately took a youth pastorate position in rural Kansas, where uh, we uh, successfully pastored that youth group from five to three in the first month. We were making about $50 a week at the church, so I took on two extra jobs, one at the ice cream stand and one delivering newspapers door to door. And uh, this really looked like nothing that I dreamed about coming out of school. And I was really embarrassed to look at my yearbook and see all the things that people had written about where I was going to go and the things that I was going to do, most likely to succeed and thought, oh, Jiminy, I hope they can't see me now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Anybody relate to that? And it seemed for years that I just kept on that path and wondered, where is the big stuff? Where is the stuff I dreamed about? And in those days, I'll, I'll never forget, I was driving down the, the little highway road. They called it a highway. I don't know why. There wasn't a stoplight on it. You couldn't even go very fast, but just through our little rural town and uh, driving down around the corner into town, and I was asking the Lord, who am I and why am I here? <laughs> Sound familiar? And I, I'll never forget, I heard a word booming on the inside of me that I didn't understand and it didn't sound like any fun, but I knew it was from God. And I heard the word intercessor. And I didn't know what that, I knew it had to do with prayer, but I thought, surely that's not what he means that I'm going to do with my whole life. I mean, that's just kind of a side thing that the ladies of the church do, you know, when they don't have anything else to do. I want to do the big stuff, God. Come on, we had a deal, didn't we? You know, you gave me the dreams and, and intercessor. Come on, you're not real about that one. So I kind of tucked it away, and uh, I couldn't get away from it because it just came back to me in every season of my life. Well, soon enough, the baby started coming, and I was baptized into the world of motherhood, and my days were filled with diapers. My nights were not filled with sleep, and... I was sitting in front of Barney and Caillou most of the day. And, you know, I used to watch the news and know what was going on, and I didn't know what was going on in the world, but I sure could tell you the PBS schedule by heart in those days. And for a while, in, in those times of wondering where those dreams went, I, I kind of just resigned myself to the fact that, you know, that was just me and my zeal, and the dream was over. I wanted to do something big, big in God. I, I dreamed of greatness, but I didn't think I was doing it now. I just thought, well, I guess that's just for the young people. And here I was only in my 20s, already giving up. But the Lord whispered to me. He said, you are doing something big. No one sees what you do in secret, but these days are written in my book for you. And what you do through your seemingly small, mundane life is shaping history, and it's being written down in eternity. And something began to happen. He began to teach me how to dream his dreams. You know, Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in me, 
and I will give you the desires of your heart. And I used to think that meant, okay, it's a formula, you know, like two plus two equals four. Like if I delight myself in him, then he'll give me what I want, right? Like if I eat my dinner, I'll get the ice cream kind of thing. No, that, that's not it at all. He's saying, as you delight yourself in my dreams, as you get near enough to my heart, I'm actually going to transplant my dreams into you. I'm going to actually give you the seed of longing, the seed of dreaming, and you're going to dream what's in my heart. That's how you do it. Delight myself in you, and I'll transplant the dreams of my heart into yours. Now, we're going to talk about dreaming tonight a lot. And some of, some of you, this excites. And in others, it creates fear, quite frankly. Some of you are excited because you have a lot of things you want to do, and you are like a racehorse being pent up and waiting for that gate to open, waiting for God to open the door for you to just do something. But some of you have fear because of past disappointment. You want to dream, but you're not sure you can even let your heart go there because so many times you've done it and you've been disappointed. It hasn't turned out just the way you've wanted. Now, sometimes our dreams get sidelined by life's clutter or just getting older. We get too grown up to dream those dreams anymore. Do you know what I'm talking about? And our faith is hindered because we're all grown up. I think that's why Jesus said, come to me as a little child. Do you remember how you used to dream when you were a little girl? Do you remember wanting to dress up like a princess? And you'd put on the crown, and you'd put on the dress, and you were a princess for a day. Or you'd dream about living in a castle or, or whatever, and it was real to you. That's how God wants you to believe tonight. What are the things that he's put in your heart? What are the dreams that seem impossible? He wants you to dream like a little girl again. We're going to ask God to blow the dust off the dreams that he planted in your hearts years ago. Some of you need the courage to dream big. You've been content with small beginnings, and that's a really good thing but there are what I call BHAGs waiting for you. Now, a BHAG, to Randy and I, we call them BHAGs, they're big, hairy, audacious goals. BHAG. And these are dreams that are way beyond your reach. There is no way you could do these things in your own power. You have got to have God to pull these things off. Some of you need a BHAG tonight. And you need to step out and take a risk because he's waiting for you. You know, we're in a season politically right now where there are presidential contenders beginning to declare their candidacy, declare that they're running. Some have formed exploratory committees. That's the equivalent of sticking their toes in the water just to test it out. You know, some of you have had your toe in the water for 10 years. And God says, he wants you to declare that you're running. He just wants you to declare tonight that you're going to do it. 
You don't know how you're going to do it. You don't know how it's going to turn out, but he's saying, take the risk. It's time to declare something tonight. So I want to pray for us, and I want to pray out of Colossians 1, verse 9 and 10. It says, since the day that we heard you about you, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing him fully, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. So, Father, I ask that for this company of women tonight, God, that you would fill them with the knowledge of your will. Fill them with all spiritual wisdom and understanding tonight, God. Explode your, your mind in their minds tonight. Let there be a, an, an increase of their heart to understand with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Father, may we walk worthy of the Lord. May we fully please you in every good work. May we be fruitful, God, in everything that we do. And may we increase in the knowledge of you. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Would you come and blow the dust off the dreams, God? Tonight is the night of dreaming. Tonight is the night where something is going to happen right here from this place. I believe every woman here is supposed to be here divinely ordained by God. And Lord, I ask you that none would leave here the same, but everyone would go forth dreaming the dreams of God. And I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, some of our dreams need to be adjusted a little bit. I had a lot of dreams that needed a little tweaking by the Holy Spirit because they were rooted in ambition or zeal, you know. Some of it's just not selfish ambition, it's just zeal. And he just wants to tweak it a little bit. I remember when I was 12, this is kind of funny, but it's, it's I'm telling on myself. I, I was 12 and I decided I was going to be a doctor, okay? And I was gonna be the do a doctor by the time I was 16. I was going to be a self-taught doctor. So I went to the library, and I checked out every book that they would let me check out, like my limit. It was like stacks and stacks of books. I checked out books on anatomy and disease and every medical journal I could get my hands on. And I had it in my mind that all I had to do was read these books and teach myself medicine, right? And I could be like one of these child prodigies. I would be a doctor by the time I was 16 because there was a lot I wanted to do in life and I might as well start now. Well, that dream needed a little bit of tweaking. <laughs> that wasn't a dream necessarily from God's heart for me. But when I was 16, 17, and I got saved, I started dreaming the, the dreams of God for my life. And I realized that our country was in trouble, and I wanted to make a difference in the government of our nation. So I had this bright pink backpack that I carried everywhere. And inside the backpack, I had two books that I would carry everywhere I went. One was my Bible, and the other was a book called We the People by Richard Halverson, who was then the chaplain to the United States Senate. And in this book were, were prayers that he would pray as he would open up the se sessions of the Senate. 
And I would take out that book, and I would pray those prayers for our nation. And I had a dream. I said, God, I am going to be, by your grace, I'm going to be the first woman chaplain to the United States Senate. Thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, I had a dream in my heart. This thing burned in me. And I would cry over it. I would cry over our nation. I'd weep over the, the righteousness that we had lost and the path that we were going on. And as a teenager, I would I would just weep and ask God for, for justice to come back to America, for us to be set on a path of righteousness again. And Lou Engle has this quote. I'm not sure he made it up, but he, he quotes it all the time. He says, follow your tears, for they will lead you to your destiny. And ever since I was a teenager, I would, I've been crying over the state of our nation. So this dream about being the Senate chaplain has burned in me for 20-plus years now. And so now I just want to put that on the shelf for a minute and switch gears a little bit. Just remember that, though. Now, I, as I went through Bible college and then into youth pastoring and, uh, you know, pa being a pastor's wife, you know, I used to ask God, you know, I'd go to him in prayer, and I'd say, God, would you just bless what I'm doing? You know, that, that's a nice little prayer, isn't it? God, would you just bless my plans? <laughs> would you just bless what I'm doing? And you, ha you can ask Randy, I'm like an idea machine. I have one, one switch, it's on, it, I'm, it's always on. My brain doesn't shut off unless I go to sleep, and even then, I don't know that it shuts off. I'm a visionary, I'm a risk taker, and I'm married to a very, very much a realist. <laughs> and I think I drive him nuts sometimes, but he's a really good balance for me. <laughs> it's a great pair up. He keeps me balanced. So it seemed like for a long time, I was always starting a project with really great intentions. And then, um, oh, boy, I should ask God to come alongside my big idea. I mean, life's biggest lesson for me was to lay aside my list of great ideas, find out what God was doing, and do that. I finally learned to ask the question, what are you doing, God? Because I want to join in. I don't want to have to think up my own ideas anymore, Jesus. You have really good ones. So if you could just let me in on a little secret, let me in on what you're doing, I'll do that. I'll join in. And one thing I believe God wants to do tonight is to let us in on what he's doing with the women in this valley. What are his plans for Alaska? What are his plans for this part of the nation? I believe with all of my heart that this city is key for the future of our nation. I can't really give language to that. But I bet God could tell us if we asked. I bet if all 400 of us began to ask him, what does that mean, God? Why Wasilla? Why the valley? Why is, that, why is this place important to your heart? And what do we have for the nation? I bet there'd be all kinds of ideas that would begin to pop up if we just ask him and listen 
and then ask him to send us out. Can you imagine what would be done? One thing I know he's doing in our day is he's beckoning women to come into place as leaders in the body of Christ. And I'm not trying to get all woo-woo on you. And I'm not saying this just because it's a women's conference and that's the thing to say we're supposed to take our place. That, I'm not doing that. But there's something about women coming into their place of authority. Okay, and I don't, I don't mean that we get all manly and try to take the man's place. That's not what I'm saying. I'm asking the question, where are the truly feminine women with godly power manifest in their lives? that are operating in roles of leadership in our nation today. This is what we want. We have, we've got a battle, ladies. We've got a battle for the minds of women going on. It's been going on a long time, but I believe God wants to break it, break in, and win the battle. Now, if you want to put up that first picture, I want to show you two women. Some of you may recognize them, others may not. On the right, we have Margaret Sanger. On the left, we have Betty Friedan. Now, Margaret Sanger, many of you may know, is the founder of Planned Parenthood. She is a hero to many women. She's got a lot of books. And I'll tell you, when I hear her name, something rises up within me. And I say, it's time for a new hero for women in America. You know, I think it's interesting that Planned Parenthood has been the focal point of this budget deal that's just been, that's just been agreed upon. And a lot of people are saying, oh, the Democrats are bringing it to them, and all oh, the Republicans are. No, you know what? God has brought this to, to the center. God has brought the issue of life to the center, and he says, all right, it's about money, then it's about life. Let's, let's, let's take off the veil and let me show you what's really happening underneath the surface. This is the battle. And people are saying, oh, well, Planned Parenthood doesn't really provide abortions. Well, let me tell you what the founder of Planned Parenthood says in her book, Women and the New Race. She says, the most merciful thing that a large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. This is Margaret Sanger, hero of womanhood here in America. Now go on to the next picture. This is my Zoe. Isn't she a doll? Margaret Sanger would have said, kill her. I have seven children. We have a large family. That doesn't scare me. It doesn't freak me out. It doesn't make me less of a woman or give me less opportunity. But Margaret Sanger said, kill her. It's the most merciful thing you could do. Come on, ladies, we need some new heroes in our day. Now go back to the last picture, the lady on the left, there's Betty Friedan. She's our founder of the modern-day feminist movement that's now become the National Organization for Women. The, the, the now crowd, we're fighting for the freedom of women. Have you ever been in a crowd where the National Organization for Women has come and protested? 
They are the meanest bunch that I've ever been around. We were on the Supreme Court steps on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, I believe it was 2005. And all we were doing was praying silently. We had life tape on our mouth, red tape with the word life on. We were standing silently praying that God would end abortion. All we're doing is, is praying silently. And these women are hurling insults, cursing us, you know, just mocking us. It's like, ladies, you have the law on your side. What are you afraid of? We need some new heroes. Here's what Betty says in her book. The feminine mystique has succeeded in burying millions of American women alive. Burying women alive, feminine mystique. Well, let me tell you, God created feminine mystique. And what's buried women alive for decades isn't the feminine mystique that he's created, but it's burnout because they don't know who Jesus is and they don't know who they are to him. That's what, that's what burns out women. Now, the other side of the spectrum, and you can take them down because I don't want to look at them anymore. Thank you. The other side of the spectrum is this religious spirit, this legalism that ties women to the dishpan or ties them to the kitchen and says, if you're not doing that, then you're not in the complete total will of God. Baloney. Now, I don't work outside of the home to get paid right now. I've done it in the past. doesn't make me less of a woman of God. Now, God wants to raise up women in this very room who will take on the spirit of, of Margaret Sanger and the National Organization for Women and Planned Parenthood and say, no, we are going to be women of God. We are going to uh, embrace our femininity. We're going to be proud to be women. We're not going to try to masculinize ourselves. We're going to value life be proud to be mothers, love our husbands, cherish marriage, operate in the gifts of leadership under the authority of the Holy Spirit. That is what the world is waiting to see. And in Romans 8, it tells us that. It says that for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits the revealing of the sons of God. Do you know what that means? It means that creation itself wants to see men and women come into their identity in Christ Jesus and who God has made them. Rise up in that, not in the lie of the enemy, fully confident in who they are. Creation wants to see that. I think God is saying tonight, rise up. Rise up and awaken to the dreams of God. He needs a generation of women, a company of women who will go forth and make a difference in this nation and in the world. The word to me, and I've said it, said it many times during this conference, a small group of, of ladies and, and guys actually too were praying for us as we were coming here to this conference. And the word was, you're going to a Gideon company. You know, Gideon had a group of people had a group of guys he was going to go fight the war with, and God said, nope, too many, too many. The ones who are afraid, out of here. I want the noble hearts. 
the ones who want to give me glory. And he whittled it down to 300, and Gideon's 300 valiant men took on the Midianites and, and captured them and won, won the battle. I mean, we may be a small gathering in the eyes of the whole nation tonight, but what can God do with us? Women submitted in humility, in meekness, not full of selfish ambition, but brokenness. In brokenness, we're pouring out love to Jesus. We know who he is. We're confident of our eternal rewards. We're able to hear his voice, and we're loving our lives, not unto death. I mean, heck, he might just turn the world upside down right here from Wasilla, Alaska. A new feminist movement could begin right out of this place with a new breed of women. Why not? It has to start somewhere. And I'll just say this, the dreams that God has for this valley depends on you. You, you probably say, yeah, you probably say that to all the conferences you go to. <laughs> no, I, I'm serious. There is something going on here. I know you feel it. I mean, you live here. You know what God is doing here, bringing together the body of Christ, bringing together the children, the women, the men. He's got big dreams. He's not going to do it alone. He wants you involved. Where are those women who will embrace true feminism? A true feminist movement that would make godly womanhood trendy. As trendy as these shoes. <laughs> Why not? Abortion is trendy. Planned Parenthood is trendy. Why not a movement of real feminists? Come on, let's do it, ladies. Let's ask God to do this. I want to diffuse the fragrance of true feminism all over the nation from this place. You know, smells, fragrances are really important to me. Do you, anybody in the room just, are they real important to people? Like I, when I walk in my house, I just want it to smell good. Quite often right now it smells like a dirty diaper, but, you know, it's a season. And it's going to be over in a minute. But I, I love candles. I love, you know, diffusers. I just want, I want things to smell good. And they're also a powerful memory trigger for me. You ever smell something and it just takes you back to your grandmother's basement? You know, that musty smell. But it's a good memory. Because you remember your grandma, and all of a sudden you remember all the things she used to make for you and being at her house and all of that. I, I have an, another uh, memory triggered by smell. I walk into Bath and Body Works and smell the, I think it's called Plumeria. And I remember my mom being in hospice, and I would put the lotion on her little hands and arms so they wouldn't get so dry when she was just lying there. Uh, and couldn't do it for herself. And that smell just takes me back to those days where God allowed me to take care of my mom before she died. You know, smells are really powerful. God knows this. There's, there's no coincidence that he said that we are a fragrance to him. 
when our fragrance is released, when the fragrance of a true godly woman standing in confidence is released to him, it's powerful to him. It moves his heart. He smells that and go, yes, that's exactly the fragrance I remember when I, when I said, this is my dream for woman, for being a woman. And he says, I want the whole world to smell it. You are to diffuse this fragrance. You know, smells can take over an entire room. And sorry to keep bringing up dirty diapers. It just seems to be where I am. But you ever walk in a church nursery and somebody just changed a stinky? And it's just like, woo, it takes over the entire room, doesn't it? But you know what? Good smells can do that too. I had a friend. Her name was Sharon. She worked for Estee Lauder. <laughs> I loved to be around Sharon. She, you always knew when she entered the room because her aroma would just, you know, fill up the place. I'm like, oh, Sharon's here. She was my inspiration to wear perfume every day. <laughs> I figure, you know, being alive is a special occasion. Let's celebrate. Squirt, squirt. You know, you just want to smell good. <laughs> Fragrances are powerful. And, you know, often you smell like where you've been don't you? For real. I like to go bowling with my kids sometimes. It's a little challenging nowadays, but I, I do enjoy going to bowl, but we have a blast, but I walk out smelling like a cigarette. I just, I'm like, I don't want to share that. <laughs> that. I have to go shower. Or a campfire. I love a campfire. I love roasting marshmallows and just being with the kids. It's so fun. But you always, you always know what you smell like when you come in from a campfire. It's in your hair. It's in your clothes. You know. And I just say, whose fire are you sitting in front of? What fragrance are you picking up on and, and diffusing to your family, to your kids, to your coworkers, to God himself? I think it's time to sit down tonight to take off our stale garments and to sit ourselves next to the flame of God so that we can diffuse this fragrance. Ladies, I don't mean to be dramatic, but I have like, I don't know, a half hour long. I just have a half hour more with you guys this weekend. So I'm going to just be as bold as I possibly can. We are living in probably the most critical time of human history up to this point. I cannot emphasize that enough. And God did not plant the dreams in you that he did out of sentiment. He didn't say, oh, I guess, oh, here, here, why don't you do this? No, each of you has a unique destiny. And you know what? That's why he had to bring together 24 different churches in this place. Because he didn't want to do it with just one expression of the body. He wants us all. He doesn't see the divisions. He sees the body of Christ in the valley. He doesn't see 24 different churches. He sees the big church, the big C church. And he wants you to partner with him in this hour so that we can transform society and be a marker of the coming kingdom. 
Now, are we going to shape history moaning and groaning about our current circumstances and how life didn't seem to pan out like we thought it would? Or are we going to ask God to ignite his passion in us once again so that we can actually make a difference together with one another and with his, the power of his spirit? And if not for you yourself, if you don't have enough in you to ask for you, look at a picture of your child. Look at the face of your child when you go home tonight and say, what are we leaving our children? What kind of America are we leaving our children? That should be enough right there to say, oh God, give me a dream. Give me a dream from heaven. I'm ready to be a part of this holy revolution. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary works because it's necessary in this hour. Now, there was a, a time in history past where an extraordinary work was needed. The Jewish race needed a hero to step in and save them. And there was a young woman in the Bible who was living in less than ideal circumstances, and she was presented with a divine opportunity to change the course of history. She could have said no, but she didn't. And because of that, she stood strong and she partnered with God's dreams within her, and, and the Jewish race was saved from extermination. And you probably know that I'm talking about Esther. Esther, an orphan girl a Jewish refugee in Persia. By random selection, she's made queen. She exposes the plot of Haman to kill the Jews, and through her bravery and really keen strategy, a nation was saved. A death decree was reversed. And tonight, I just hear something saying, you know, there need to be Esthers that arise, world changers that arise. Now, how many of you aspire to be a world changer? I know I do. I want to be that. And I get all stirred up when I think about it. Now, has anybody ever told you, prophesied over you, given you a word that you have an Esther call or an Esther anointing? Anybody heard that in the room? My, I suspect that there would be a whole bunch because we're in the hour where we need it. And I, I have heard that as well and asked what it meant. And uh, the Lord just kind of said, well, read the fine print. I'm like, okay. I thought you were asking me to dream big. Yeah, he said, yeah, I am. Just read the fine print. So I went to read the fine print. And here's what it says in Esther 2, verse 12. Now, we all kind of know the story, I would think. You know, Esther is, uh, she, she's this orphan living with her, what we call him uncle, really his cousin, her cousin. And uh, uh, the king, you know, gets ticked off at his queen and puts her out of the house. And they have this big beauty contest to find out who's going to be the next queen. So they gather up all the young women in the land and bring them into the house of women to prepare. And here's what uh, Esther 2.12 said. Uh, Esther actually gets taken in, and it said, Each young woman's turn came to go into ki King Assyrius after she had completed 12 months of preparation. 
according to the regulations for women. Here's what the, the preparations were. Six months with the oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes for beautifying women. And I think, okay, that's interesting. You know, I, I, my guess is, you know, Esther gets called out and at first, you know, she's in the, the big palace and she's going to be a princess kind of thing. And it's a big party and it's fun for a while. But it says she goes through uh, a year of preparation with fragrances. And I'm like, a year? I mean, wow, that's intense. A year to get launched into your destiny? It says six months with the oil of myrrh and six months with the costly perfumes. And I'm thinking, man, I think a good shower and maybe a nice dress would do. That doesn't take a year. But let's look at this a minute. Let's look at the significance of why these things. Now, the oil of myrrh, six months with this. What we know about myrrh, it's a costly aromatic spice, and it's crushed and mixed with olive oil, typically. And it's used for a variety of things. They would use it for skin treatment, for, for treating dry skin, for treating wrinkles, because you can't have wrinkles going into the king. It was an anti-inflammatory agent, so if you had, you know, boils or anything, I mean, I think it Esther have boils. Wow, that's weird. But they'd use it for that. They'd use it for acne, because you certainly couldn't have a zit on the day that you go in. I mean, essentially, it's six months of skin treatment, six months of exfoliation so you don't have any zits, no wrinkles, gleaming skin. They were committed that these girls would be, have perfect skin going into the king. But here's the other thing that myrrh is used for, and that's for burial preparation. If you'll remember, that's what they used on Jesus. And I just see this as a prophetic picture that for six solid months, she's being prepared for the death of a vision. She had her own idea of what going in would be, being launched out, own idea of being a princess. But this myrrh just prepared her with brokenness. And brokenness before God, we know, is, is sweet. He says that a broken and contrite spirit he will not deny. He's actually attracted to it. Myrrh is, is a fragrance that prepares you not to stink when you die. So when your vision dies and, and when you think that it's going to go one way and it goes the other, you don't stink. You still have a fragrance that's pleasing to the Lord. And you're still able to say yes even in your brokenness. And that's what I think took six months. Skin treatment, but also, oh, I, this isn't exactly what I thought it was going to be. And then it says six months of perfumes. And in some translations, uh, purifications for beauty treatments. I mean, here is the fragrance of royalty because they wanted all these girls to come in with an aroma that literally filled the room, like my friend from Estee Lauder. And they wanted her to not smell like B.O. <laughs> she couldn't be striving. She couldn't be sweaty. She had to smell beautiful. 
And you know, no doubt uh, their diet was a part of this treatment. Because when you think about it, you know, sometimes you kind of smell like what you eat. You know, you eat garlic, sometimes your bio smells like garlic. I mean, let's just be real. And these, these uh, experts in beauty treatments, no doubt, would give them the royal diet to where after six months, they just smelled wonderful. <laughs> and no doubt that they, they knew what to give them that, to eat that wouldn't make them pass gas in the presence of the king. I mean, think about it. Who wants to let a toot when they're in with the king? Come on, let's be real. But th that's what the preparation was for, so that they would smell wonderful when they went into the king. But six months of soaking in these baths, six months of eating the right things. I mean, can you imagine if, if Esther... Um, didn't like it anymore and, and, and didn't want to do it. And they're like, no, no, put her under one more time. She's not ready yet. She had to take another bath and another bath and another bath until that pleasing fragrance was just a natural part of who she was. So for these girls, it was a solid year of breaking old habits, changing their diet, scrubbing off the old, massaging in the myrrh, all in preparation to be set into the place that God had called her. See, God doesn't often call those who are already perfected like that. I think of the disciples, the fishermen, the stinky guys fresh off the fishing boat who said, yeah, I'll follow you. But Jesus had a lot of refining to do in the three years ahead, didn't he? I think of the, the woman that she talked about tonight, who some say was a prostitute, came in, broke her alabaster box, washed Jesus' feet, and some of them were like, if he knew who she was, that's an expensive waste. And he's like, no, this is so pleasing to me. In her brokenness, she gave me everything in the fragrance-filled house. Esther, an orphan refugee, not from the royal Persian family. She's like you and me, ladies. And it wasn't all romantic. It wasn't uh, all glamorous. Yes, she was a queen, but she struggled with her identity even as the queen. When Mordecai comes to her, and says, listen, here's the death decree, and I think you're it. I think you're the answer. I think you're all we got to work with. <laughs> she says, you don't know what it's like to be me. The king hasn't even called me in 30 days. I don't even know if I have access to him anymore. Don't you know if I do this, I could die? I mean, Esther actually considered saying no. And he says, okay. You can say no, but if you say no, just know this. Deliverance will rise up from another place, but you and you, you're not going to be saved in that day. But consider this, Esther, perhaps you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. I know it doesn't look like what you thought it was going to look like. I know being queen is not as romantic as you thought it was. But perhaps you are stationed here at this time in your life to save a nation from being exterminated. 
We know the rest of the story. She said yes. It was difficult. She had a lot of soul searching to do, but she said yes. And I would just say this. What is God preparing you for right now? What are the beauty treatments that he's got you in right now? I mean, here I'll just paint a picture in your mind of my beauty treatments. They look like a lot of yours. I have mounds of laundry waiting for me when I get home. And I do mean mounds. They're like mountains. The best thing I did when we remodeled our house is I got two washers and two dryers. Hallelujah. <laughs> Diapers. It's my beauty treatment. At one point, we were going through 800 diapers a month. Thank God for potty chairs. I have non-stop housework, just like you. Seven kids who need my attention. Teenagers, you know what? When they turn 18, their problems just get more intense. Sometimes I just wish I could change his diaper and put him to bed, <laughs> but I can't. He takes a lot more time and a lot more effort and a lot more thinking. <laughs> that's my beauty treatments right now. That, that's where he's got me. That's where he prepares me. That's where he rubs off the old and keeps me humble and keeps me saying yes. But you know what? The dreams of God are still alive inside of me. You know, I, I've realized that the years of the routine in the mundane are actually rubbing off the hard places in me. And they're actually creating humility and meekness that I asked for. You know, you pray those prayers, oh God, make me humble, as if he's just going to zap you with some kind of, you know, special humility lightning. No, those are really dangerous prayers. Because then he takes you into seasons of myrrh and rubbing and exfoliating all the dry skin off and just rubbing that myrrh in and saying, you're not going to stink when you die. <laughs> and you know what I have now that I didn't have back then is boldness. Because I figure, what do I have to lose? It's okay to be risky now for me. I'm willing to have no reputation. I drive a white 15-passenger van. I used to dream of like a, uh, never mind, I can't even say it, it's so sad. I'll never drive an SUV again. <laughs> but I want to run with his dreams. And that's what, that's what it's all about. So what is your baptism of myrrh? It, all, it looks different for all of us. Maybe you're like me, and you're, you're a a housewife, a stay-at-home, on-the-go mom with three kids, and that's your myrrh. Maybe your myrrh is a boring job where you really don't want to be. Maybe your myrrh is a hard marriage right now, and God is saying, go low. Go low. Humility and meekness attract God's favor. They really do. A friend of mine gave me real good advice last week. She said, we cannot go low, too low, Kelsey. We can't go too low. You just keep going low in humility, and God just keeps coming and, and breathing upon you. I mean, what if Esther had said, forget this already, forget the treatments, I'm ready, and she pushed herself into the king. 
I could just see the guy coming behind her, Esther, you've got a zit in the middle of your forehead. You're not ready. <sighs> Come back. She would have gone in and he would have been like, whoo, you really stink. And then it would have all been over. She wouldn't have been picked. <laughs> God's saying, sit a little while in your myrrh. You'll be ready soon enough. A year of treatment will be over in a minute. And some of you have been in this place for a while, and you are about to be set before the king. I am telling you, I am confident that there are women in this room who have been faithful through your six months of myrrh. You've been faithful through your six months of beauty, beauty uh, perfumes. And you have the fragrance of Christ, and it is so pleasing, and he is about ready to set you in your destiny. And you have not despised the day of small beginnings, but you have, you have submitted to it. And there are others who might just be coming into that place, and he would say, don't despise the beauty treatments. They're all part of the dream. You know, in my life, those times of setting, you know, getting set before the king, so to speak, set in my destiny, they've often taken me by surprise. They've happened at the weirdest times in my life. You know, I've, I've often felt set on the shelf or I've, like I'm sitting on the bench, and then suddenly God calls and he says, hey, Bolender, you're in, get in there. And in those suddenlies, I'll tell you what, I'm never disappointed in the beauty treatments. I'm so thankful for the time and preparation. And I say, oh God, that bench time was a brilliant strategy to create in me what I needed for this hour. I think of my little boy, Zion. He's nine. He plays soccer. And in his first season a few years ago, he wanted to play so bad in the games, and they put him as goalie. And, you know, unless you're Jimmy Nielsen, who well, you probably don't know who that is. That's okay. He's famous in Kansas City. He's our star goalie, all-star MLS goalie. Unless you're Jimmy Nielsen, you don't like to play goalie, especially when you play for the YMCA League and you're seven. <laughs> and he just, his face would just drop when he got stuck at goalie. And then, you know, he'd, he'd play forward, but nobody would pass him the ball. And they would always shoot the goals, but he would never really get, you know, get to play. And he, he played a season or so that way. And in the off season, I was so touched by his little heart. He would just practice his guts out. He got those little you know, the little cones, and he got a soccer ball, and he'd go out in the yard and do the drills. He saved his birthday and Christmas money so he could buy himself a big goal to set up in the yard. And he waited until the snow melt. I mean, he, he just was eyeing the first day that grass would peek out from under the snow so he could go shoot on that new goal. He would practice and practice and practice. And now he's one of his team's best players. And this morning, he called us. He had a game, and he played against a couple of our good friends. And he said, Dad, we won. We won five to three, and I made four goals. And we're just cheering in the background. 
And what I'm so proud of him for is that he trained in the off-season when he didn't have to. And now he's an all-star. But he wouldn't have been an all-star had he not practiced in the off-season when nobody was making him and when nobody was watching. Now, I want to go back to uh, something I told you about. I had a dream when I was in high school, that pink backpack dream. I mean, whatever became of that? Well, you know, like I said, I, I got married, youth ministry, babies, homeschool. I was a homeschool teacher. Was, key word. <laughs> and I literally gave up on the dream of being the Senate chaplain. I mean, I have a passion for government. I intercede for our America and for our leaders. But I, I, I prayed a lot. I, I've prayed a lot over the years, mostly alone, mostly in a closet, hidden away. Nobody knows. And that's okay. And I just thought, oh, you know what? That dream was symbolic. It, I won't be the real Senate chaplain. It, it's symbolic. Well, in 2005, uh, we lived in D.C. for a season. Our family, Randy and I, we had three children at the time. And we were praying with about 50 kids, 50 interns, in a little room on Pennsylvania and 2nd, on Capitol Hill in D.C., praying for our leaders. And in that season, I had a, I had a real dream at nighttime. And I, I dreamed about this man, and in my dream, his name was Rick Santorum. And Rick Santorum, in the dream, um, was being persecuted because of his stand for Israel. And I woke up from the dream, and I thought, wow, that's interesting. I wonder if there's a guy named Rick Santorum. And so I Googled him, and sure enough, he was a senator from Pennsylvania. And interestingly enough, in addition, he was one of the most pro-Israel senators in the, in the Senate. And I thought, okay, I think this dream is from God. I, I think I need to pray for him. And so I, I, uh, I told our interns, I said, we are going to pray for Senator Santorum every day. We're going to pray out of 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5, we're gonna, because he, apparently he's being persecuted. We're going to pray that God would deliver him from wicked and evil men and those who do not have faith. We're going to pray that the word of the Lord would run swiftly to him. And we prayed for him every day, just about. I, I tried to pray for he and his family every day. I'm sure I skipped a day, but I, you know, I prayed for him faithfully. And uh, we put his picture up in the prayer room, the whole thing. So one day, one of my interns, uh, leaders, came and he said, uh, Kelsey, uh, your uh, senator that you pray for, he's going to be signing uh, his new book, doing a book signing down at Trover Bookshop, which was right underneath our house of prayer. He said, I think you ought to go and maybe just talk to him, maybe tell him your dream. I'm like, are you nuts? I'm a mom, and no less, I'm a mom with a nose ring at this point. And back then, I mean, I know, whatever, I just had a nose ring, okay? It wasn't like real whatever. I thought, no, I'm not going to go tell him my dream. That's so weird. And the Lord would not let me go. He said, no, you, you need to go, Kelsey. And it was just pressing on my heart. And you know how it is when the Lord's trying to get you to do something, you think of it constantly, and your heart like beats out of your chest. 
and you don't really want to do it, but you know it's God. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go. I'll go, God. And I'll take out my nose ring because I'm going to talk to the senator, and I can't be weird. I mean, I, I don't have anything against nose rings, but I just felt like God was saying, your season for the nose ring is over. <laughs> for real. I know it's funny, but he said, I'm going to set you before senators. Take the nose ring out. It's time to grow up. So I did. I took it out as a statement to the Lord, and uh, I uh, wrote down on some little index cards the verse that I prayed for him, and I also wrote out the dream. And uh, I am driving in, and I am sweating so bad that, like, I have big stains, you know, under my shirt. I'm like, oh, great. I got, like, toddler food on my shirt. I'm trying to wipe that off on, with a wipey going into Capitol Hill. I got sweat pit stains, and I'm going in to talk to the senator, and I just feel like I could throw up. <laughs> I was so nervous. So I said, I, I had these caveats, and I, I said, okay, Lord, here's the deal. I need to find the perfect parking place, and if I'm going to actually talk to him, there can be nobody in line because I'm not going to do this in front of anybody. And I thought that was a pretty good fleece because it was noon on Capitol Hill you know, like two blocks from the Capitol, and here's a book signing by the senator. Surely there would be people there. I thought I was totally covered. So I get there, and sure enough, there's a perfect parking place right there on Pennsylvania Avenue. Guys, that doesn't happen. That's God. All right? It was noon. And I'm like, oh, great. So I walk in, and I figure, well, I, I probably better buy his book. And I didn't even know he had written a book. Buy his book. Go over. There's no line. There's nobody in this bookstore. It's me, it's the senator, it's the secret service man, and the man with a camera from the news. I'm like, oh, great. So I, I walk up to the table, and uh, the guy with the camera, I, I think, I don't know what channel he's from, he's like, hi, do you mind if I record you? And I said, no, sir, I need you to turn off that camera, and I need you to step away. <laughs> yes, ma'am, I did. And the Secret Service agent, now I had his attention because he was all... And I walked up to the senator, and I said, Senator, you don't know me, but I had a dream about you. <laughs> What did I have to lose at this point, you know? And uh, I told him the dream. I said, do you believe in dreams from God? Yeah. I told him the dream. His eyes got wide. I said, I want you to know that I, I've been praying for your family, and this is the verse that God told me to pray for you. I'm praying that God would protect you and protect your family and that you would have a strength to stand under this persecution, and I, I'm praying that you have wisdom in your stand for the nation of Israel. And he just sits back, and he reaches out his hand to shake my hand. He said, you have no idea what that means to me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I walked out. Whoops. And I had done my job. <laughs> and I went back to my kids, 
and I went back to what I do. I pray. But God had pulled me out and said, Bolander, you're in. Go tell the senator. I'm going to make you the chaplain to the Senate. See, it's not what I thought. It's not at all what I thought. And that's happened with, well, time after time after time. And it's not been because I've looked for it. And I'm not telling you this to boast in me. What I'm telling you is to encourage you. Because if God can do this with a mom like me, he can do something so amazing with 400 of us in the room. All he wants is our little yes. All he wants is for us to look to him and say, give me the dreams, God. I say yes. I say yes to the treatments. And it may not look like what I think it's going to look like, but I'm going to partner with you and I'm going to have joy because of it. He is going to change the nation because of women like us. God is hilarious. <laughs> Chaplain to the Senate, I didn't even finish college. I have no credentials. <laughs> I'm a mom with three kids. Some of you have so much more credentials to do so much more. You're going to go so much further than I ever could. I'm just here to encourage you, to bring you the word of the Lord, and to pray for you. And tonight, I want to commission you ladies because it's time. God wants to partner with you. He desires to partner with you. He wants to dig up those dreams in you. You know, there's a verse in the Song of Solomon where it says, I sat at the king's banquet table and my fragrance went before him. And as we're sitting tonight, I think this is God's banqueting table. And our fragrance is going up before him. And he can just sense the movements of our heart as we say yes to him. Now tonight, I want to do kind of a three-prong approach to a commissioning and a prayer time. I want to let God do everything he wants to do. And I know it's getting a little late, but let's just, let's just wait. This doesn't have to take a terribly long time. But on your tables, there are some note cards. And while you're finding those note cards, I just would ask the worship team to come back. And just let's begin to uh, just worship a little bit. On those note cards, here's what I want you to do. I want to take just a few minutes, and I want you to hear from the Lord. Some of you have heard, and some of you, God's going to just begin to do something in the next few moments. But on one side of that note card, I would like you to write your email address. Now, if you don't have an email address, then you can write your phone number, your address, whatever contact information you would be comfortable giving to one of the people at your table. And on the back side of that card, and you can be as detailed or not as you want, I want you to declare the dreams of God that he's giving you tonight. There's going to be 400 dreams of God tonight. This is the first step in a movement. Now, I work with Lou Engle, 
And I've learned everything's a movement. <laughs> I've laughed at him sometimes for it, but you know what? Why not? Margaret Sanger started somewhere. And now we need a new hero. Why can't it come right out of here, right out of the valley? Let's ask God for that. So I want you to write down those dreams that God is giving you to dream tonight. Maybe it's a BHAG, a BHAG that you can't do without him. Maybe it's something he gave you years ago and you thought, surely that can't happen now. Look where I am, God. I'm nowhere near that dream. Oh, but you don't know what God can do. You don't know where God can place you. And then I'm just going to give you a few minutes to do this. And when you're done, don't go anywhere. But I would like you to just exchange that with somebody tonight. It'd be great if you could do it with somebody at your table. It doesn't have to be. But I want you to be fellowshipping with somebody else. I want you to declare these things to somebody else. And then you take that card from somebody else and I want you to commit to pray over these dreams with this, this, this friend in Jesus, this sister in Christ. Let's pray over the dreams we have for each other, ladies. We need each other to do this. And in the days and weeks to come, I think it'd be great if you could email each other, call each other, say how's it going how about that dream that God's given you what's happening with that how can I pray how can I undergird you so let's just take a few minutes now and Thanks for listening to the podcast today. If there's anything we can do for you, reach out to us, rbolender at gmail.com or track along with what we are doing here in Kansas City at zoefoundationkc.com. Have a great week.